Okay, if you guys could remain standing for the reading of God's word. Romans 5, 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are uh, dismissed to Children's Church at this time. Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Redemption Hill. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jimmy. I'm one of the guys on the leadership team here at Redemption Hill. Um, It's interesting. There's a a Bible passage in the New Testament where uh, it says that we shouldn't say, we're going to do such and such a thing, uh, but we should say, if the Lord wills, because he's sovereign, and we never know. We we make plans, but we never know. Well, that came true this morning. That that verse uh, definitely... Uh, applies to our situation today, but the Lord is good and uh, is a joy to worship him together. Um, So the last few weeks, we've been going through a series in the book of Titus. And in the book of Titus, uh, the apostle Paul has been writing to his protege uh, named Titus, who is starting a new church on the island of Crete. And Paul wants to communicate to his protege what are the essentials, the core essentials that every church should be built upon. Something that comes up over and over and over and over in the letter is the importance of sound doctrine, doctrine that's rooted in the good news of Jesus, the gospel. Now, you might hear that and think, uh, this is what I used to think when I was younger, when I was in college. I hear, ugh, doctrine, that's so dry, that's so academic, it's boring. But really, when you think about doctrine at its biggest level, our questions, our answers to the big questions of life we all ask, and how the Bible and how Christianity answers those questions. Now, these questions cover a lot of different topics, but one of the topics that everyone has to deal with at some point in their life, or has dealt with, is our questions surrounding death. It's not a fun topic to talk about. Uh, Our culture usually tries to avoid the topic, except, strangely, this time of year. uh, We were out passing out flyers yesterday, uh, uh, inviting people to church, and uh, with it being Halloween time, there are skeletons and 
uh, gravestones everywhere. And yesterday it struck me, wow, that is odd for our culture to celebrate death in such a strangely explicit way. But usually we try to push it away. And every, but everyone has experience with it. Maybe it's more distant. Maybe you've only experienced it through the loss of a, a grandparent, a distant relative. Uh, or maybe for some of us, it's, been much, it's felt like much too close of a friend. Uh, maybe we've lost best friends, close friends, close family, even parents, children. And, but for, regardless of where our experience is, These are questions that all of us wrestle with at some point in life. Questions like, why do people die? Has death always been part of humanity's story? In light of the fact that people die, how should we live our lives? Well, a man of God named Moses in Psalm chapter 90 answers these big questions of life. So we're going to take a step out of the book of Titus this week. If you have a copy of God's Word, meet me in Psalm chapter 90. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. Now, Moses, you may have, you may have heard of Moses. Uh, if you grew up in church, you might have learned about him in uh, Sunday school or uh, reading through the Bible, or maybe uh, you saw movies like the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt. Uh, Moses was a man who God used to lead his people as God was saving them sovereignly out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. God used Moses to lead the people out of slavery through the wilderness and towards the promised land. And this is Moses, uh, this is the only psalm that Moses wrote. And this is Moses looking back as an older man, looking back on his life, reflecting on his experience, and reflecting on those big questions I talked about earlier. And For us, it's thinking about what do Christians and what does the Bible teach and believe about death and mortality? So as we open, let's bow our heads to pray. Lord, we need you today. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. May I speak truly, wisely, and clearly for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our first point this morning is that God is our eternal refuge. God is our eternal refuge. Beginning in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So that word translated in verse 1 as dwelling place on the screen, in your translation, it might be translated refuge. Uh, so in the Hebrew, the original language, those, it, it could be translated either way. Uh, it's a word that kind of has, like if it was in the dictionary, it would have meaning one, meaning two. But if you think about it, those words are really closely connected. What is a refuge? A place you run to when you're scared and life isn't going your way. And so often, where do we want to run when things aren't going our way? We want to go home. A home is a kind of refuge. And Moses is saying God has been our refuge. But not only has God been the, uh, his people's refuge, he's been a specific type of refuge. He's been an e- eternal refuge. Now, what, what does that concept of eternity mean? It means that God has always existed and always will exist. As Moses puts it, uh, 
from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And this is how God himself put it in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. So Alpha and Omega are the first and last layer of the Greek alphabet. It's another way of saying from, beginning, from before the beginning till after the end, I have existed, who was and is and is to come. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this because our brains have trouble thinking about things outside of time. God, God does not have a beginning and end like we do. Like we, don't, we only experience things within chronological time. And it hurt, I, I don't know about you, it hurts my brain uh, to try and think about things like that outside of time. Uh, but as the creation of church uh, story t- puts it, in the beginning there was God, there was nothing else, only God. He, before humans were created, before there was any earth or anything, God existed and always has existed. There was never a point in which God did not exist, and there will never be a point in which God does not exist. And you might be hearing this and thinking, all right, Jimmy, cool. Thanks for the philosophy lesson. Uh, but what do, I, what do I do with that? So about eight years ago, I got my first full-time job. And I was really excited because I knew once I got, uh, once I graduated from Ohio State and once I got that full-time job, I wanted to propose to Sarah. We had been dating for a couple years at that point, and my plan was always, okay, graduate, get a job, and propose. So I talked to two of Sarah's good friends. They had kind of talked together about what kind of rings she might like, and we went, um, I think it was player small, but it could have been Tuttle. We went together to go shopping for rings. And we went to all the stores. We went to Kay, and we went to Zales, and we went to Jared, uh, and we went to Macy's. But eventually, we found the ring we, we decided to buy at Sears. Now, one of the things that sold us on Sears was their uh, warranty plan, that with the purchase of the ring, they would uh, resize it and clean it and service it for the life of the ring uh, for free. And... To me, I was like, that's a great deal. Like, that's, that's awesome. On top of the ring being beautiful, this is a, this is great. I'll never have to worry about this again. There's only one problem. Uh, if you've been paying attention to retail recently, it's not been a great time. I did not plan this knowing your last name. I hope, you, I hope you, you're not like heirs to the Sears fortune or anything. Uh, like, um. But it's not been an awesome season for Sears, right? Um, in the last few years, they've closed 3,500 stores. Uh, not great. It turns out that I put my trust in something that was not built to last. Friends, how good of news is it that our God is not like Sears? that our God is not subject to the whims of a few decision makers or is not, uh, cannot go away with a couple of retail trends shifting. Our God is not a fad. Our God is eternal. He will last. He existed before we did, and he will always exist from everlasting to everlasting. And we can put our faith in him, and we can rejoice in that that we don't have to worry about him going away or violating our trust. 
Let us then, as God's people, let us trust in him and let us worship him because he is eternal. But we can sense, even in ourselves, that we're not like that. We're different. Like I said before, we have trouble even imagining the idea of eternity because we can't think outside of this idea of beginning and end. Why is that? Well, let's look in Psalm 98, verses 3 through 6. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. Your second point this morning is that people are finite because of sin. People are finite because of sin. So here, Moses is making a little bit of a pun in verse 3. He says, you return man to dust. So in the original Hebrew, the word for man and the word for dust are very close. And that's because in Genesis chapter 1, or in chapter 2, it says that God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And because of that, humanity has always been linked in a really tight way with the ground. And when God made the, created the first man and woman, he created them to love and worship him and to love and honor one another. But beginning with the very first man and woman, the very first man and woman, they went their own way, not God's way. They disobeyed God, did evil against God. The Bible calls that evil sin. And that sin, that disobedience, had consequences. Look what God said to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. This is God telling Adam the the consequences for his sin. He says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. From out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Moses is making clear here, reminding us of this passage, because he's saying, why do people die? Why are people not like God? Why do people experience physical death? It's linked to our disobedience, and it's linked to our sin. Look how Moses continues his argument, beginning in verse, uh, verse 5. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream. Like grass as renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. And I'm going to go on to verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Moses is saying like, that because we sin, God and God is perfectly just. There is a just wrath that humans deserve as punishment for our sins for our disobedience. And every single one of us, the Bible makes clear, has gone our own way, not God's way. Every single one of us has disobeyed God. Because of that, the Bible says the wages of sin are death, that the just punishment for our sin is death and eternal separation from God. Look what he says here. He says, we are brought to an end by your anger. He's, he's saying this, this is a psalm directed to God. By your wrath we are dismayed. 
You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Humans are finite because of our sin. And you might hear that and say, oh, hold up, Jimmy, hold up. Like, I know I'm not perfect, but do I really deserve to die? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. I, I, when people cut over to the right lane, when the left lane's er- merging, I, let, I sometimes let them merge in front of me. Like, uh, I hold the door open for people at the store. I even, when I walk my dog and he does his business in other people's lawns, I even bring the little bags and pick it up. I don't leave that behind. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Do I really deserve to die? Reminds me, uh, my, a buddy of mine was doing ministry in the Middle East. He was sharing the gospel with a gentleman who uh, was Muslim. And in Muslim theology, they believe that if you're, you follow these five central core commands called the five pillars and your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, that uh, Allah may have mercy on you. And my buddy said, well, he asked his friend, if I had a gallon of water and I took one little eyedropper and put one little drop of alcohol in that gallon of water, would you as a Muslim be able to drink the water? And the man said, no, it would be, it would be sinful. It would be haram. It would be, sh- it would be sinful for me to drink any of that water. The whole gallon is, is polluted by the, al- the drop of alcohol. And my friend said, well, what about a bathtub? What if I took a bathtub full of clean drinking water and took one little eyedropper of alcohol and put one little tiny drop of alcohol in the, the bathtub? Would, would you be able to drink any of that water? He said, no. I couldn't. I said, what about an Olympic-sized swimming pool? What, what if I took an Olympic-sized swimming pool of clean drinking water and took one little, just one little drop, one little droplet of alcohol? He said, no, the whole thing. What my friend was trying to communicate was that in the same way, our sin before God, even one little small sin, even one little piece of disobedience, which, by the way, like, let, we, we typically tend to underestimate our sin, right? I, I, I know for me, I very, when I think, if I were to think I would only had a little tiny bit of sin, that would, the, the Bible would reveal that to be wrong very quickly. But some of this, I think, is rooted in our misunderstanding of God's standard. See, when we think, we use the term, like, oh, he's a good person. We use that usually to mean uh, that they're especially altruistic or they're especially nice. But God's standard is not human niceness. It's his own perfection. We're going to read a little bit in 1 Peter chapter 1 how he says, Be holy because I am holy. The standard is God's holiness. And And sinful people, rebellious people, cannot stand in the presence of God. Look how uh, the Apostle James puts it in James chapter 2. He says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. If we even break one little tiny part of the law, it's the same as 
violating all of it. Because God is perfect. And before, and you might be thinking, well, Jimmy, I found a loophole in your little argument. I've never murdered, I've never committed adultery, so I'm good. Well, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus explains that it's not just externals, it's the heart. He says that if someone uh, looks at his brother and has hate in his heart, or calls that person an idiot or a fool, that's the equivalent of murder. And I'm sure no one in 21st century America, especially concerning politics, would ever say that about anybody else. And he says that even to look at a person with lust is the same as adultery. A person that's not your spouse with lust is the same as adultery. As God said to the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. So we see that God's standard is not just external human niceness. It is, his, is, good, is complete holiness inside and out. And the news only goes from bad to worse because not only do we receive bodily death because of our sin, it, we deserve eternal separation from God. Again, the, the Bible says the wages of sin are death. Humanity, sinful humanity cannot be in the presence of a holy God. So what hope is there? Friends, there is, there is good news. Even though every single one of us have gone our own way, not God's way, God still loved the people he created. He sent his only son And he was the only one who lived not just according to our nice standard, but according to God's holiness standard. Lived a perfect life, the only one. And even though Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived, he died the death that you and I deserved. On the cross, he bore the wrath of God. The justice that we deserve fell upon Jesus. But sin, death, and the grave could not hold him. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, triumphing over sin, death, and the grave, so that if you and I put our faith in Jesus, though we are sinners, we will be covered by his righteousness. Look how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5, comparing the good news that we just talked about, the gospel, to Adam's sin that we talked about earlier. Beginning in verse 15 of chapter 5. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now that's, uh, that word justification, what that means is that if we put our trust in Jesus, it's like we are covered with a robe of his righteousness, a robe of his perfect holiness, so that though all of us, if the Lord tarries, if the Lord doesn't return for us, all of us will still experience physical death. When we die and stand before the Lord, 
though by our record, we deserve to be guilty. If we put our faith in Jesus, he will cover us with his righteousness. I love the way, actually, Kendall sang the song earlier, Before the Throne of God Above. This is it's one of my favorite songs in all of music. Not just one of my favorite hymns, it's just one of my favorite songs ever. The second verse uh, goes, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul was counted free because God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's what we talk about. Well, that's what we mean when we talk about justification. Because Jesus took the wrath of our sin on the cross and rose from the dead, if we put our faith and trust in him, we will be covered of his righteousness. And when we stand before God, though we, by our record, if we just went by our ability to keep the law and do the right things, we would deserve punishment. But in that moment, God, if we have faith in Jesus, will look on him and pardon us. Look at his record. It will be as if we had lived as Jesus lived. And friends, if you're a believer, I I would just encourage you to have confidence in Christ. Rejoice in your salvation Don't forget what Christ has done for you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, first of all, we're super glad you're here. And second of all, I would just encourage you, put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. It's not just being nice. It's his holiness standard. Put your trust in his death and resurrection. He died to... Romans chapter 5 in the beginning actually says to demonstrate his love for us while we were still enemies, he died for us. Repent. Turn away from your sin and put your trust in Jesus. So in light of the bad news, in light of the good news, what do we do next? How do we live our lives? In light of the fact that people die because of sin, so we experience this physical death, but there's good news in Jesus. What, how then should we live our lives? Verse 12 says this. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Your third point today is that remembering death leads to satisfaction in the Savior. Remembering death leads to satisfaction in the Savior. Verse 12 is kind of the apex of this psalm. Everything he's been arguing about uh, human beings dying because of our sin builds up to this point. And he's, Moses is pivoting at this point towards what we should do, how we should live. And his prayer to God is help us to number our days. Now, I don't know about you, that's not a phrase I use super often. So what does that mean to number our days? Reminds me of when I was growing up. I grew up in a faith tradition that practiced Ash Wednesday. Did any of you guys grow up in a faith tradition that practiced that? Well, I, and in that faith tradition, um, it's the first day of the season of Lent. And 
the church members would all attend a church service and at one point in the service, we'd come forward and the pastor would take ashes burned from palms from Palm Sunday the year before and he would take the ashes and put them on our forehead in the shape of a cross. And you probably have probably seen people around with that on Ash Wednesday. And what he says when he puts that cross on the head is, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. That phrase should sound familiar, right? Genesis chapter 3, it's what we read earlier. It's supposed to be a, a reminder, a mnemonic device to remind us that we will not live forever, that life is short. Life is short. We only have so much time. Because, because of our sin, we will, if the Lord does not return first, we will all experience death. And like I said earlier, our culture doesn't want to talk about that. We don't like thinking about that. You know, it used to be, maybe you guys have seen old-timey churches from uh, 100 years ago or more, when, and a lot of them, they have a graveyard adjacent to the church. Think about it. That's not typical for churches anymore. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it, it shows kind of a bit of a, a cultural shift, right, that we've changed over the last 120 years. And a lot of that is due to amazing things like advances in medicine, advances in science, advances in technology that have extended uh, lifespans, not just in the West, but around the world. Praise God for those things. But as a culture, we tend to prioritize youth and vitality. We don't like thinking about aging. But Moses is calling us to embrace the fact that we won't live forever. Now, there's a, a way you can do that that goes too far, uh, or we don't want to be excessively morbid. Uh, about three or four years ago, Sarah read a book, my wife Sarah read a book uh, called Remembering Death, which talks about a lot of these same things. It was helpful for me as I prepared the sermon. And for about a year after that, every time I'd be watching uh, a football game with the Buckeyes or uh, my favorite NFL team, the New Orleans Saints, uh, and the game would be in the fourth quarter. It was getting really tense, and I was getting really anxious. Sarah would say, honey, don't worry. In 100 years, all of these players will be dead. <laughs> and I said, I don't know if that's as comforting as you, <laughs> as you think it is. I, to- I told her about that illustration last night. She said, I was just trying to help you keep it in perspective. So that, that might be a, a bridge too far. But there is a sense in which we are to keep in mind, to push away the illusion that we are immortal. This is especially hard for those of us who are young. Those of us who are young, we tend to think that we'll live forever. But the Bible and even our experience says otherwise. Now, what is the end result of that? Look at the second half of verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom. Moses is saying there's a wisdom that comes from remembering our days and knowing that life is short. So 
so he's saying that we should live for what matters, that wisdom would lead us to live for things that matter. Now, our culture has some ideas about what matters. Our culture might say stuff and success matter, that we should, life is short, so just get as much stuff and have as much success as you can. Our culture might say, uh, live for experiences, YOLO, right? You know, live for excitement, live, uh, live for uh, good times, live to travel, live for these amazing experiences, live for sex, live for all these things, live for partying, all these amazing experiences, basically like every beer commercial you've ever seen. And a lot of those things aren't bad things. But are those the things that we're supposed to be, like we look at life being short and that's what we're supposed to live for? For stuff? For success? Friends, if that's the center, if that's what we're living for, that's what the Bible calls idolatry. A few weeks ago, Josh, some of you may remember, had that uh, staircase diagram where he, he showed like a staircase and that God was meant to be on the top rung of the staircase on the throne. But we tend to put ourselves and stuff and experiences in that top in that top spot. And if God gets out of that throne, if we put anything else in that throne, it's going to damage our relationship with God and it's going to lead to thirst and brokenness. The Bible calls things like that broken cisterns. They're like water pots that have cracks in them. If you put your hope in them, you scoop up all the water from the well you want, you're going to get home and be thirsty and disappointed. They were not built to satisfy you. Look where Moses would have us turn for satisfaction. Look at verse 13 and 14. He says, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with stuff and success? No. Satisfy us in the morning with uh, great, amazing YOLO experiences? No. Satisfy us in the morning with health and wealth? No. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Knowing that life is short should lead to satisfaction in the Savior. We we are to be satisfied in God's steadfast love. As as we said last week, Jesus is the treasure we are to live for. Jesus is the thing that we are to live for. And it comes back to that idea of refuge that we talked about earlier, the, the dwelling place, the refuge. When life gets hard, where do we run to be satisfied? And Moses' life, even after the people were saved out of Egypt, walking through the wilderness was hard. They had to walk a long time through the desert towards the promised land. And over and over, what they said and what they did was they looked Even though God had provided for them time and time and time again, they tended to look back to Egypt and say, oh man, at least we had food in Egypt. 
They were slaves there. And yet they looked back to their slavery and said, man, at least, like, I know I was a slave back there, but at least I had food. Though God had provided again and again, God was saying, just trust me. Trust me to provide. Friends, brothers and sisters, how often as Christians do we look back to those things from before we were Christians and seek to be satisfied in those things? How often do we turn back to Egypt? This life is like the wilderness. Life is hard, right? Life is challenging. And when those when life gets hard, where do we run for our refuge? Do we run to the stuff back in Egypt? Or do we run to our refuge that has come through time and time and time again, who is eternal, who never lets us down? Look what P- Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He's, this is actually our public reading from last week as well. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully not on stuff or success, not on experiences. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Friends, don't turn back to the passions of your former ignorance. Moses watched people turn back again and again and again. Eventually, they got punished. They had to spend, they ne- that generation did not get to enter the promised land. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they doubted God over and over and over, and they complained over and over and over, and God was patient and patient and patient. And eventually, he said, I need to teach so that you might learn to love and honor me. I got to teach you a lesson. I got to punish you. Friends, don't turn back to the passions of your former ignorance. Paul says in the New Testament that those things were written for us, that we might learn not to do what they did. Don't turn back. Those things tempt us, though. Sin is a liar. On the front end, it will make us think it'll look so good and so appetizing and so appealing. Afterwards, turns into an enemy and beats us up for giving in. It's a liar. Don't believe it. Don't give in. Seek to be satisfied in the Savior. Could look through, like, reading and meditating on his word, memorizing the word. Actually, prior to these verses in 1 Peter, Peter spends uh, the entire chapter breaking down the beauty of the gospel, talking about how it's this imperishable inheritance that we're guarded by God's power, uh, that we are given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of the Son of God from the dead. Seek to be satisfied in him. And if you seek to be satisfied in him, it will lead to obeying. Jesus said in the book of John, he said, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. And those who love me abide in me. Those things are connected. To make our home in God, to dwell, to seek God as our refuge will lead to our obedience. 
This is not a get out of jail free card, do whatever you want, just repent and pr- pray to Jesus and you can live however you want. That's not it. If we really love him, if we really make our dwell- him our dwelling place, that looks like obeying and trusting him. And we will never regret time spent loving God and loving la- neighbor. Not only that, Moses makes clear those are the things that will last the test of time. Look at the last verse of this psalm, verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses is looking at his life and he's looking at how we're finite and God is eternal. And he's saying, I want to do something that matters. Lord, let our let the work of our hands be something that matters. It lasts the test of time. Friends, that's not stuff and success. And that's not YOLO experiences. It is loving God, loving neighbor, seeking to be satisfied in the Savior through obedience to him, trusting in his promises and walking towards the promised land as he guides us. Those are the things that will last the test of time. I would encourage you, followers of Jesus, to pray for the Holy Spirit to lead you to deeper satisfaction in God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's bad news and there's good news. And the bad news is, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're, you're still in Egypt. You're still a slave to your sin that we talked about earlier. The good news is, there is a Savior. There is a Savior who wants to set you free. That if you repent and put your faith in Jesus, he will pull you out of Egypt and adopt you, bring you into his family. And as a family, we will walk together to be satisfied in the Savior, encouraging one another, loving one another, serving one another as we point one another to have our eyes on Jesus and be satisfied in him. I saw this poem recently. I, I, I want to close in it with it. This is a poem by C.T. Studd. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, may we embrace the fact that our lives are short and let us live to be satisfied in our Savior. Let's close in prayer. Lord, you are our eternal refuge in every generation. You are God. You have been our eternal refuge for centuries and millennia. You are good. Lord, I pray that your people would turn to you as our refuge and not to lesser things, not to broken cisterns, not back to the things, to the sins we struggled with before uh, we started following you. Help us walk with you and seek to obey you, to be satisfied in you, to be to rejoice in you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's not a follower of you, that you would open their eyes to your beauty, that they would put their faith in you today, that they would turn away from sin and put their faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.